Hi everyone, how are you doing? It's Yuli here. I'm your host for the Remote Work Show, and today it's a really, really awesome conversation. I think you will learn a ton. So usually most companies are either fully remote from the beginning or not really, uh, or they have offices and they're remote as well, but today's case is a bit different. I'm speaking to Todd. Todd is the CEO and co-founder of Four Kitchens. So the interesting thing about them, they were a brick and mortar company, and they actually transitioned into being a fully remote company. So you will learn the following things in today's conversation. Number one, you'll learn how Todd made the actual transition after many, many years of working collocated. You will learn the difference they had in four kitchens from having an office and then not having an office, having this comparison and perspective for a few years, which they now have right now, and the many different benefits they had for the company during this period. You'll learn how they maintain their culture in their remote environment right now. You'll learn unique things Todd is doing in four kitchens, which really serves his remote team, and you'd really want to hear those things if you're hiring people remotely, and much, much more. I hope you enjoy. All right, Todd, welcome to the show. Thank you very much. Thanks for having me. I thought we can kick off things uh, by you sharing more about yourself, uh, who Todd is, and maybe more about Four Kitchens as well. Sure, absolutely. Uh, so my name is Todd Neenkirk. I'm CEO and co-founder of Four Kitchens. Uh, Four Kitchens has been around for about 12 years. We are a web design and development company. Uh, we specialize in working with organizations that have a lot of content. So we wind up building websites and apps. Uh, and lately, we've been delving into some AR and VR, some web-based AR and VR uh, for uh, organizations that want to deal with um, uh, 3D assets or uh, organizations that want to do immersive tours of facilities, photo tours, or just immersive storytelling in general. So we tend to work with a lot of publishers, media companies, nonprofits, universities, and uh, and more recently, we've started um, uh, looking into working with museums because they do a lot of really interesting things these days with AR and VR. How are you helping museums with AR and VR? Just very curious to me. Sure. Uh, well, what's interesting is people in the museum space, uh, and that includes um, galleries, libraries, archives, and museums, uh, they really get it. Uh, we, we work with a lot of, of media companies and, and other places, and you'd think that that they would be more on the cutting edge of, of immersive content and entertainment, but uh, they think it's really neat, and sometimes they do some like kind of cool stuff, but the people who really get it, the people who have a strong opinion about AR and VR, the people who are currently using it a lot, are generally museums. Uh, they, they do it for a couple of reasons. One, it's a really great way to provide a virtual tour of a gallery or museum. Uh, it also helps museum organizers keep uh, like a record of the different exhibits that pass through their facilities. So most uh, galleries and, and museums have some permanent collections, but mostly they rely on uh, uh, rotating temporary exhibits. Uh, and in those cases, they have to rebuild their whole space. They, they tear down walls, they put up new walls, they change the lighting, they do all kinds of, of really labor-intensive stuff. And once that art is gone and they reshuffle the space, you know, the, the whole memory of it is, is gone unless they capture it in, in a way. And uh, three, uh, 360 photo tours are a really good way of capturing the, the scale and the, uh, the path that museum visitors would take as they travel through the exhibit. So that's the first area where museums tend to use this newer technology. The second is uh, museums and archives that have a lot of uh, uh, artifacts that they want to digitize. So digitizing sculptures or um, uh, archaeological artifacts. Uh, these are things that are, are you know, often not shown to the public. They, they exist in a temperature and climate controlled area, usually off limits to to the general public, this is a way to make those uh, uh, those assets, those those exhibits and materials available to not just museum visitors but academics and researchers, people who would want to look at very high quality sub millimeter level accuracy scans of objects from ancient Egypt or Sumeria or Greece or wherever, uh, and making that available to people globally. Oh, that's fascinating. I guess we should go to museums to learn about uh, the new technologies that we should all 
Yes. So absolutely. Your guys, as far as I understand, you are a distributed company. So how many people right now uh, is on your team? And are you all 100% remote? There are 38 of us, and we are indeed 100% remote. Right. So when I was doing some of my homework before the interview, I noticed that you guys uh, did have an office, actually, a physical office, and you made a transition to being a fully distributed team. Uh, I thought that we can talk about this a bit. I think it's very interesting because most people, most companies, to be accurate, once they start, if they start remote or they kind of have a bland version, I'm curious, how was the transition and did you have any roadblocks in process? So how did you help actual people who are already working? So, hey, tomorrow you're working remotely, by the way. Sure. Uh, I guess the best place to start, and, and this is a story that I've told a lot and a story I really enjoy telling because I've I've come to uh, really appreciate the value of remote work and uh, all of the benefits that it can provide. Um, it's not for everybody, but for organizations that can adopt it, it, it really does um, transform the organization in, in really cool ways. Uh, so I guess I'll start at the, at the very beginning. Uh, for the first 10 years of our history, we were a uh, co-located company uh, about and we're 12 years at this point. Um, and we did have a false start. Many years ago, we, we attempted to go remote and it really didn't work well at all. And we, we gave up on it. Uh, and we felt uh, a few years had passed. And even though we had, we had kind of sworn it off, uh, thinking like, oh, we're no good at doing that. Like, don't, don't even try. We were finding that it was really difficult to continue recruiting. Uh, finding really world-class talent where we were at that we could afford. Uh, so we were in, um, and, and people who, who wanted to move, and relocate to, to work with us. So we started our company 12 years ago in Austin, Texas, and that's where our, our offices um, had been for the first 10 years. Uh, so about four or five years ago, after we'd had our false start, and I can talk about that later because that's, that's an interesting story, uh, we realized like there's so many good people that we were running into that we really wanted to hire and they all lived elsewhere. Uh, there were people that we were reading in California and Portland and, you know, East coast. And uh, not everybody wants to pack up their entire lives and move halfway across the continent yeah, to, sure, yeah. to start a new job. So there, we had all kinds of opportunities that we, we missed out on because we, we just couldn't hire remote. Plus we were finding that, hiring in Austin was becoming very, very expensive. The uh, VC world had arrived in Austin uh, about four or five years ago in a pretty serious way. So salaries went up uh, in Austin? Salaries went way up in Austin. Mm -hmm. And we're a services company. You know, we're, we're not a startup. Uh, we're not funded. We're a bootstrapped agency. And we just have very different finances. So uh, it became harder and harder to afford people, and it became harder and harder to find people who um, were already in Austin and looking for a job, uh, or people who wanted to relocate. So we we realized, like, okay, if we want to hire all the people that we want to hire, uh, and if we if we want to not have to worry about relocating them or dealing with the increasingly competitive market in Austin, the only way around that is to become uh, a a hybrid distributed company, which was our original intent. Uh, we wanted to have some people working in an office in Austin and some people working remotely from wherever. So that's the, uh, that's the plan that, that we pursued. We didn't intend to become a fully distributed company. So when doing the hybrid thing, we spent a lot of time talking with our peers, talking with other agencies that, were, uh, that, that had a hybrid model. So people, half the people working in an office, half the people working outside of the office. And we got some really, really, really good advice from, from our peers. And if it wasn't for that advice, I don't know if we would have been able to, to successfully make the transition to hybrid and then to fully distributed later on. What was the advice? Uh... Oh, well, I got lots of it, but there's one piece that stands out more, <laughs> okay. more than anything. Uh, so when you are making a transition from co-located to distributed, the moment you have one person working remotely, your entire team has to work remotely, though they may work together in an office. So you have to change everything about your process and how you communicate, even if it's just one person working 
outside of the office. And when you approach the problem with that philosophy, what you're doing is treating remote first. Like remote is the, uh, is the primary experience of working at this company. And being co-located and working in an office is a secondary experience. Whereas most companies have that flipped where the office is the primary experience and remote is the secondary experience. But that's very isolating for people who work remotely. They need to be treated as the, the primary experience. And this, this has a whole host of trickle-down effects in, in how we would uh, manage just day-to-day -day stuff at the company. So one of the things that we implemented the very first day that our first remote team member started, we said, no more uh, going into the conference room for, for calls. Like we're not gonna take conference calls in a conference room anymore. Everybody should be at their desk. Everybody should be using video chat. We use Zoom, so here we are right now on we're Zoom. Using Zoom, yeah. Um, everybody needs to do video chat. Even if the person that you're talking to is sitting at the desk, at, at the desk next to you, like it's gonna feel awkward at first, but this is how you start the practice of behaving like you're remote, even if you're working together in an office. Do you mean when everyone needs to have a call together, or even let's say I need to have a call with you, we will still have a Zoom meeting in terms of the actual protocol? Yes, that's exactly what we did. And it seems really strange, right? Like, why would you do that if you can't just stand up and talk to somebody next to you? Well, the idea was that we were forcing this, this change. We, we had to really push people to, to think in terms of video chat first, not standing up and walking over to the person first. Because as we grew our remote team, they wouldn't have that option to stand up and walk over to that person and talk to them. They would have to think about, oh, um, video. Let's, I'm going to send them a Zoom link and, and we can have a chat. So there were multiple times as we started this process, as we uh, started treating video chat as the first thing that we would try and talking in person as the second thing we would try. There were all kinds of experiences where I'd get on a call with somebody and uh, our video would start up and I'd see that, you know, she was in the office, but in the other, on the other side of the floor and I was in my office and they're like, oh, we're both in the office. Let's just, you know, meet in person. So it became instinctual that we would try to do video first and then meet in person second and that's what we mean by by a remote first workplace treating yourself like you're already a remote company assuming we're remote and going there first basically that's my exactly exactly and so I, I asked the um the rest of the team to to do something else uh th there were a couple of other things that we did first um people generally don't get fed up and and upset and quit because of one thing they get upset and they quit because of lots of little things that pile up over time. Death it's of a just, thousand cuts. <laughs> exactly. Death of a thousand cuts eventually just kind of crushes their will, right? So uh, I asked everybody on our team to work from home at least a couple of days a week to understand the remote experience. And this is all very reflective of our culture of, of empathy and for coming up with solutions to human problems. Uh, what better way to understand the challenges of working remote than to make yourself work remote, right? So that was the first thing that we asked people to do is to, to spend a couple of days a week working from, from home, even if you never really intended to do that permanently. And the second thing was while they were working remotely, I asked everybody to keep a little like piece of paper and notepad handy right by them. And anytime something a little strange or obnoxious happened, just even like the tiniest annoying thing. For right work uh, stuff? Uh... Yeah, just work stuff. Uh, like, uh, uh, for example, there were still a couple of cases where people would get together in the conference room and, and have phone calls, despite us trying very hard not to do that. Well, the problem with that setup was uh, we have one of these, we had one of these polycom units that sat in the middle of the conference table, like you see everywhere. Uh, we also had chairs sitting around the tables that had armrests that had a little metal edge on the front that was exactly the height of the table. So as people would kind of shuffle around in their chairs throughout the course of a meeting, every so often that armrest would hit the side of the table, you know, and it would cause this little amount of vibration to travel through the table to the polycom unit where the polycom unit would duck the microphone for about two seconds. Uh -huh. So anytime somebody tapped the table with their armrest, 
the person on the conference room would lose about two seconds of audio. So the solution there was, well, we got to put some foam padding under the polycom unit, and then we're going to remove the armrests from the chairs so that they don't hit the table anymore. And so it was lots of, you know, the depth of a thousand cuts like that. Small details or small processes. Exactly. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So this went on for a couple of years. uh, And after um, after a couple of years of being a, a hybrid company, we had a, a good handful of people working remote and majority of people were still working from the office. But one of the things that we found was interesting was we started to get so good at remote work that a lot of people just stopped showing up at the office. They would just continue working from home, even though they lived in Austin, which was fine. But there were some people who really preferred to work from the office. And then the office became kind of this like lonely, empty place, right? Because we had an office that could fit 25 or so people, and there were only maybe three or four people that would show up in the office every day. So that's when we implemented a policy of work from office Thursdays. So we had to do the opposite of what many other companies do, where they say like, oh, you can work from home on Fridays or whatever. (laughs) We would say, no, you've got to come to the office and work on Thursdays. It's the new policy of remote companies. (laughs) Exactly. Like everybody come together and, and, and that helped for a while. Like that helped create a sense of community. It helped the people who were working in the office feel better about all of that. And so that continued for a little while as well. Uh, but then we reached a decision point and the decision was, uh, we have this lease on our office and it's going to end in a year. Do we want to renew the lease? And we decided at that point, no, we're not going to renew the lease. We're going to let it lapse. And we will become a fully distributed company at that point. And that allowed us to redirect all of the funds that we were putting towards an office and all the equipment and the internet connection and the refreshments and everything, and be able to redirect that to other uh, parts of the company uh, and and other programs. Uh, And we had to really carefully manage that message because when, when somebody, if somebody were to tell you, we're closing our office. What's your initial reaction to that? Probably horror. You're going to lose your job. or just like negative stuff, I think. Absolutely. For a regular person, yeah. Well, e- e- even more strange, if we're talking with clients or, or even our competitors, uh, and we say we're closing our office, that's kind of the euphemism. <laughs> Doesn't sound good, yeah. For, yeah, for like going out From of business. From that side, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, which wasn't at all the case. Like we were actually doing better than ever, and closing the office was something that freed us up. So we had to spend a lot of time and energy explaining through blog posts and videos and marketing the idea from what it sounds to your customers and uh, all of your employees in the company. Exactly. Yeah. So we, we had to spend, we spent that whole year doing that, setting up all of the, the new programs that we could create with the, the funds that had been freed up from the office, uh, messaging that properly to explain that like, no, we are not going out of business. No, it's not that we can't afford the office. It's that we don't need it anymore. And so we're going to invest that budget in something else. Very cool. I, that's fascinating. I like that you also told your um, employees to work from home. It kind of puts them in the shoes of anyone else. And I think it's very different when you actually experience something, such as working from home, anything else. And yeah, it sounds like it was a transition. It wasn't a one-day thing like, hey, guys, we're closing the office and going was a many years transition based on all their protocols and process. So uh, that's pretty yeah, fascinating. It, it sounds like the right thing to do. Yeah, for us, it was at least. It's, it's not the right thing for everybody, but it, it worked out well for us. Uh, and it took us about three years to get to the point, starting from we need to recruit remotely. We need to adopt some level of remote work to deciding let's go fully remote. So that was about a three-year process, and we've been a fully remote company for um, almost two years. Two years. So do you think a company performed better in those two years compared to two years before because you're remote? That's kind of, I guess, the thing coming to my mind. Because you have the comparison. Most companies don't really have a comparison of like, where you start remotely. I never had an office, for example. Um, Do you think it made you better at a company for you guys? Because again, as I said, everyone is different, but for your company... Do you see like the results or like you say definitely this was the right move for us, for example? Yeah, uh, it definitely was the right move for us. And I, I absolutely believe that it was um, 
that, that we're doing better work now as a result, but maybe not for the same reasons that, that, that people might think. Uh, first of all, it is more expensive to run a distributed company. A lot of people think it's cheaper because you don't have an office. And that might be true in some markets. You know, if we used to have an office in downtown Manhattan, uh, then, okay, yeah, it may be cheaper, but it's, it's not really a cost-saving opportunity. You're just moving the cost of an office into other programs that make remote work work. So it's actually more expensive for us now uh, being distributed. So we're not saving money. We're spending more money on, this, on the company and on the people at the company uh, mm -hmm. than we were before. Uh, and I can come back to what those things are that, that made it more expensive. Uh, I feel like we are doing better work because uh, we're able to hire um, more specialized and more qualified people that otherwise we couldn't hire because we would need them to move to Austin. So we have a better recruiting pool. Uh, and I, I think that that lends itself to better work. Uh, we also, we provide a better lifestyle for, for some people than we did when we had an office. Now people can, if they choose to, uh, to work remote remote, which is our phrase for somebody who is working while also traveling somewhere or, or um, we have one person right now who- Digital uh, nomad, this style yes. and working from anywhere in the world, basically. Exactly. Mm -hmm. we, we, have, we have a digital nomad on staff at the moment right now. She and her partner are traveling all over the, uh, the American West. And we have, uh, we have opportunities for people who, if they want to go spend a month overseas with their family and still work during the day, that's doable. You know, it does add, when you're in drastically different time zones and things like that, and, and maybe unreliable internet connections, it does add a layer of complexity and sometimes annoyance to it, but it doesn't make it impossible. It just means that... Um, People just have more freedom. They can move now if, if they decide, like, freedom of I'm choice, tired of living sounds, in, yeah, yeah I, I don't want to live in Indiana anymore. I want to live in Pennsylvania. They can just pack up and move, and it makes no difference to us. It changes nothing about how we work. Uh, and if people really want to travel and be digital nomads, that's something that we can accommodate as well, whereas we, we could not have accommodated that before. Mm -hmm. I thought we can come back to what you mentioned about the programs and which kind of programs maybe you... Uh, put in your team. I think it's very fascinating to hear because most people don't talk about it. And when they start just a remote company, they just think, hey, we're going to hire someone remotely and not think on all the things which surround it, maybe. So maybe I thought they can talk about some of the things you guys are doing. Sure. Uh, so there were a few things that we've done. Um, one, since going remote, we have um, significantly increased our uh, benefits packages just overall. And that, that's not really because we went remote, but it makes it a little bit easier because we don't have the overhead of an office to pay for anymore. So we now offer 100% paid uh, vision, medical, dental. We have a matching 401k program. Um, our 401k uh, puts 3% of your salary into a 401k, whether you contribute or not. So it's not actually matching. It's, it's just 3% of your salary. We're going we're gonna to take that same amount and we're going to throw it into 401k. You don't have to contribute a penny. We're going to contribute to your 401k for you. 401k for you. So we were able to roll out some of these really cool programs uh, and expand our benefits drastically. Um, another thing we were able to do, uh, we, when you have a remote company, you need to get people together in person from time to time. That's still super important. Uh, you need that for team cohesion. You need to sort of see people's body language, even beyond a video call. Video calls help a lot, but it doesn't, it doesn't do everything. So every year we have a all hands retreat and that retreat for 38 people can be pretty expensive. Yeah. I so we used to spend in a hundred, about a hundred thousand dollars a year on our office in Austin. Uh, our retreat alone just this year cost about $95,000. Oh, man. So that was an expense that we didn't have before <laughs> that we have now because there's, it's, it's the best opportunity for people to get together all in person and talk and work on things in real time. Uh, so we have the all-hands retreat. And the third thing that we've done, we've had to completely rethink equipment and how we manage equipment. 
So we're a, we're a services company. We don't have a lot of equipment, which is nice, but we do have, you know, laptops, displays, headsets, keyboards, mice, that kind of stuff. And back when we had an office, there was the expectation, of course, as, as would be the expectation from any company, that they are going to provide you with your desk, your laptop, your chair, you know, all of these things that offices yeah. have. And when you have an office, if somebody leaves, well, you just give that chair to the next person who you hire, or you, you reuse their laptop, you wipe it and, and you give it to somebody else. When you're working remotely, things get a little more complicated because, first of all, uh, where do you store equipment? When you don't have an office, well, it's going to be at a, either a storage facility that somebody has to manage, or it's going to be at somebody's house. And that's asking them a lot to suddenly have to keep a closet full of computer equipment that gets, I guess, mailed around the country anytime anybody gets doesn't hired. sound fun. <laughs> that doesn't sound fun. And it's not at all practical. Yeah, yeah. So what we've wound up doing is um, we just, we invest a lot in equipment and we don't expect to get it back. So here's, here's what we've done. Uh, first, when you are hired uh, at Four Kitchens, you get a, a kit of equipment. You get a laptop, mouse, keyboard, headset, display, and webcam. And that's everything that you need to do your job because everything else is, is software and you know development and design and, and all of that. But we'll, we'll buy all of that hardware for you and we'll send it to you. Uh, from that point forward, you are expected to provide all the extra hardware that you need. So if you need to go buy another desk, go buy a desk. If you need to buy a chair, go buy a chair. You need to buy a new laptop, buy a new laptop. But we also realize that it's not entirely fair to expect somebody to pay for their own laptop, even if we've given them the first one. So we have implemented a program called PEX, P-E-X. Uh, PEX is a debit card. It stands for uh, a personal expense debit card. Okay. Uh, we add $150 every month to everybody's PEX card, and it accumulates. So you could use that $150 and spend it every month on a co-working space if you needed to go to co-working because where you live is noisy or for whatever reason. You, you feel more productive when you're in a co-working environment. Great. You can use your PEX card towards that. Or you can save up your PEX card for a year and a half and buy a new laptop every year and a half. You can do that too. Mm. So we're still like, we provide you with the initial equipment that you have, and we give you a dollar amount every month that you can spend on more equipment if you need it. But beyond that, you're expected to bring everything else to work. Which company are you using for the PEX card? I think it's something that anyone listening in would be curious to know. PEX sure. is the name of the company? I think PEX is the name of the company. Uh, yes, it is. So it's right. pexcard.com, P-E-X. Cool. I'll make sure to put, we'll put it in the show notes as well. So then when somebody leaves, like you're probably wondering, well, tax-wise, how does that work? Um, in the United States, uh, uh, in terms of taxes, all of that stuff that we give them and all the stuff that they buy with their PEX cards is company property. They just have the delegated authority to purchase some company property and use mm -hmm. it. And then when they leave Four Kitchens, we deduct a dollar from their final paycheck, and that's the sale of all of that equipment. So we then sell all the equipment that they bought with their PEX card and that they got when they were hired for a dollar. So that makes it a lot easier for us. We don't have to manage inventory. They just keep it and it becomes their property when they leave. Mm -hmm. And you save some taxes, I guess, on the way. Yeah. It's an expense. Like, it's an yeah. expense. Yeah. And yeah. otherwise it would be treated as a uh, payroll benefit and it would mm -hmm. show up as a, a payroll tax. Got it. Got it. That's fascinating. No, it sounds like you're taking care of your team and you're giving them kind of setting things up for success for them in terms of all the things they need. And yeah, the monthly expense for those small things which are required is uh, fascinating. I haven't heard that much uh, personally. I guess the next thing which I want to move and maybe ask you is more about your culture and maybe how you maintain the culture. Something I read when, again, I was doing some of the homework is you, you mentioned in your website when it comes to moving to fully distributed team, your company values need to reward experimentation, transparency, and communication. Um, I, I love those values. I definitely agree. I guess the, the question I have to you is, how do you instill those values? Do you have something you do, maybe a process? Do you remind it? Like, how do you actually go and tell or try and make sure all the 38 people will actually reward experimentation, transparency, and communication, which are the values which you want to have for your company? Sure, sure. 
Uh, culture is one of the most difficult things to I agree. I create agree. Yeah. and to maintain. Um, and not everybody agrees about what culture is even. I agree with you um, as well. Yeah. So that's, it's, it's, uh, it's a process really, uh, that we're constantly undergoing, trying to figure out what's not working well, how we can improve, what are the things we need to focus on this year or next year or this week or next week. So it's a constant ongoing process to, um, monitor and adjust our, our culture, whether it's through, um, how we talk about things, the recognition that we give people or, or forget to give people and overlook, which happens quite a bit, honestly. Uh, so there, there are lots of things that we do that I think all fall into this bucket of culture. Um, so I'll, I'll try to pick just a, a few headline items uh, because I, I could go on like forever and forever about culture. That's a whole other thing. Yeah, I agree. Um, That's a whole separate conversation. Yes. Uh, the biggest thing is, is communication, uh, particularly within distributed companies. It's very, very easy to become isolated and to isolate people at a distributed company. That's one of the big criticisms of remote work. And it's a, it's a very valid criticism of remote work. It's, I think, the single biggest drawback. So people can start to feel isolated because maybe they're not around people physically as much as they used to be every day. And that really affects some people. It affects their mood. It affects how they work. And just physically not being around other people and physically not seeing them and talking to them uh, can be, um, can make people lonely, honestly, is the word, just lonely mm -hmm. and feel detached from their work. Uh, so you have to provide opportunities for people to communicate and socialize and be together in person whenever possible. So we have this annual all hands retreat, but that's ideally not the only time that everybody's going to see other people at the company. We make a big deal out of going to events, speaking at events, sponsoring events, and finding groups of people to go to these things where they can all hang out together for two or three days during the course of a conference or a, a camp or something. Um, and that serves a couple purposes. One, active involvement in events uh, is really good for, for team building, right? You know, bring, bring three or four people to an event and they can all hang out and get to know each other better for those three or four days. Secondly, it's just a really important business development opportunity. It's important from a marketing perspective that you as a company are attending these events and that you're visible and ideally that you're speaking at them because if you speak or panel at an event, you get instant credibility. Your thought leadership is instantly recognized. Yeah. yeah. So finding ways for people to interact in person is, is a really important aspect of our culture. And so we freed up a lot of funds to do that. Everybody has an annual professional development budget that can go towards attending events. We will also pay all of the expenses of anybody that is speaking at an event. So that comes out of our marketing budget. If you're speaking at an event, if, you're, if you have a talk that got accepted, and if that event is of sufficient business development value, we will pay all your travel costs and, and lodging and everything to go speak at that event because it's good for you, it's good for the company, everybody wins. So we, we try to make available lots of funds for people to, to travel around and speak. So all of that is kind of like one big area that we invest a lot in to maintain culture. Mm -hmm. uh, go ahead. Yeah. No, did you want to add something else to this? Or? Uh, yeah, I wanted to, to uh, wrap up the communication piece a little bit. Um, communication at a distributed company is much harder than at a co-located company. At a co-located company, people are constantly overhearing things or running into people in the hallway and talking about stuff. Like if I just have something on my mind and I were to go to the break room and there were a couple of people sitting around, you know, eating lunch, I could, I could just talk to them about whatever was on my mind. Communicate. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Uh, but now that we're distributed, you know, we're not really eating lunch together. I don't run into people in the hallway. That doesn't really happen. So you have to make that effort to reach out to people and set up a time to talk. 
uh, or, or find more opportunities to share information that isn't just organic and passed through the hallways like it used to be. Now we have to have um, regular series, like re we have regular reporting vehicles that we use. So every week there's a sales update. Every month we have an internal newsletter that our entire leadership team writes uh, and, and we each That's talk about That's a cool idea. It. I like yeah, it. it's, it's a relatively easy way to, to just, to have an asynchronous way to communicate stuff that's important and to share big news uh, or, or just exciting news with people um, so that you don't have to call a meeting and find availability for 38 people. You just put together a, um, uh, a newsletter that they can all read during their, their free time or in between meetings or, or whatever. Uh, and then we also have at least two all hands meetings or, or two social meetings every week. Every Monday, in, every Monday morning, we have something called Team Hugs. So it's like <laughs> okay. hashtag Team Hugs. Uh, and at Team Hugs, we do a couple of things. We, we generally don't use Team Hugs for announcements or anything like that. Sometimes we do, but most of the time we, we don't. The two things we want to do at Team Hugs are, one, we give kudos. So if anybody has kudos for other people, like, hey, I really want to thank Evan for his yeah. really great work. So important. so important. Exactly, yeah. So you have an opportunity for people to be recognized by everybody at the company. So we do that for usually about 15, 20 minutes. And then the remaining 10, 15 minutes, uh, we just have a, a question. It's just a question that everybody can answer. And sometimes it's, it's like an important question about the company. Like, is there anything that you feel we should be doing differently? Or, you know, what's, what's an area where we can improve as a company? But most of the time, it's just sort of a fun question. It's things like, when was the last time you did something that scared you? Or, um, you know, what's your favorite memory of like, what was your favorite breakfast cereal growing up? Just sometimes it's silly stuff, but it gives everybody a chance to speak to everybody else at the company. And to be and heard, I guess. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. When we use a tool like Zoom, you get that sort of Brady Bunch view of all the squares of people. Yeah. So you can see this big wall of faces and you're like, oh man, I can't believe there are 38 people here. You know, that's <laughs> that's really cool. I only I only interact with like these three or four people every day, but actually there's like another 30 people out there that all work at this company. So uh, the team hugs thing is, is another thing that we do. Uh, and then on Thursdays, we have something called group hugs and group hugs are smaller groups. Team hugs uh, and group hugs. Yes, exactly. So team hugs the entire team. Group hugs are smaller groups of people led by, um, they're randomly assigned. So there's like a little, our director of operations puts all, everybody's name in a hat and she has like a ceremony at the beginning of every quarter where she's like, all right, well, you know, here are the people on John's group hugs. And she pulls out five or six names and reads them. And so it's all like totally random. Uh, and at group hugs, um, we, we change it every so often. The groups change every quarter. So you're, you have a more intimate group of people that normally you don't work with, right? That, that you're going to talk with for half an hour every week and get to know. Sometimes it's just purely for fun. And it's like, here's half an hour for us to just decompress and chat and talk about whatever. Sometimes uh, we might do something like a book club. So at the moment, I don't have a copy of it on me, but uh, we as a company are reading the book Radical Candor by um, Kim Scott. Right, okay. So we're learning how to, to better give each other critical feedback within the company. And we're using our group hugs as like a tiny book club experience where everybody reads a chapter a week and we all talk about the, the book. Cool. That's fascinating. Now, I really love all the stuff you said. Um, I guess the next thing maybe I want to move into is um, you're working remotely for a while. You're really passionate about remote work. What would you want to see maybe most change in, in general in the world of remote work? Is there some things which come to mind? I've talked about going remote so many times. <laughs> and um, I've written blog posts and I've done interviews about this. And I've given talks at events and nobody has ever asked that before. Nobody has ever asked what 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 could change about remote work and remote yeah, work culture. I just think it's it's a relatively still new trend. I mean, I'm also always worked remotely. You moved to it. Some companies are moving, some not. Mm -hmm. I feel like there is some gaps, definitely some things which will need to change. Maybe they're not. I don't know. Yes. Um, I really like this question. So, okay, now, now that I'm letting it sink in a little bit, there are a lot of things. Um, the, the one that sticks out most to me 
is kind of a boring reason, but it's a really, it's kind of a boring thing, but it's a really important thing. And that is when you're, when you're just a business, when you are a legal entity that is a business and you are asked to fill out forms for the IRS or um, other state agencies within the United States, they expect you to have an office. Like the whole legal structure of businesses is built around the idea that you have an office that you are headquartered in. And that's just not true for every company. So we have to go through these crazy backbends to um, like set up essentially a fake office. There are these services out there that will give you an address, like a virtual offices. Yeah. Yeah. And all that gets sent there is like legal paperwork from the government. You know, it's just, it's essentially, a, it's, it's like a PO box, but there's somebody actually sitting there and it's that person's job to be the office for like 300 different companies. Uh, and they do like, it's just absurd. Like it, it the, oh, the, I agree. I absolutely yeah, agree. They're just, the physical, like the law has a, the yeah. mandatory having a physical office is very absurd. It's still yeah. didn't catch up all around the world. I so agree totally. with so that's the thing that bothers me the most, I think, um, because you can't get around it. There's no way to get around it. Um, the second thing that bothers me is um, I wish that there were more incentives for companies to go remote. I wish that uh, there were more cities in the United States or states in the United States that would incentivize remote work because we're helping to reduce energy use because you don't have to have an office with all the lights on and stuff all night, you know, um, less traffic, people aren't commuting to work, um, just less wear and tear on infrastructure in general. Um, we, I feel like if there was some incentive or some recognition of that, that more, more companies would think about remote work. But on the other hand, I wish that there were more co-working spaces that were affordable because one of the main reasons why remote work does not work for some people is that they cannot work from home. They either cannot work from home because just emotionally they, they don't want to do it, which is totally fair. It's a challenge, yeah. It is a challenge. challenge. Yeah. And if you have like a bunch of kids at home and maybe your partner is the primary caretaker and, and you're you know, the primary worker... Uh, those kids are home all day and that's going to be a distraction for you. Um, it can get tough. Yeah. Yeah. It can be tough. So uh, it is necessary, I think, to have co-working spaces for people to get away. And if they, if they just need silence or if they need to be more productive or whatever. And I wish that those things are more affordable than they are. They tend to be pretty expensive. Yeah. There is one company, which I also interviewed called liquid space. I've never tried it myself, but they are very interesting. You can literally rent mm. an office, a co-working space just for a few hours as well. I, I'm not sure what about pricing and et cetera, and I'm not affiliated with him anyway. Uh, that's just interesting because I, I chatted to their marketing manager as well on the podcast. Interesting. Yeah. Okay. I'm, I'm looking at it right now I will take a look at this afterwards. That's cool. No, the things you said are very, very interesting and make me think as well. I think it will take a while, just personal thought, until the legal system can uh, catch up with this, definitely. So yeah. I, I guess next thing I'll ask, do you think remote work is, is the future of remote or in, in general in future of work? Yes and no. Um, yes for certain industries and no for others. Uh, and I, I, it feels kind of silly to even point it out, but I, I think it's worth, I think it's worth pointing out that there are some jobs that are just impossible to do remotely, like um, being a chef. <laughs> you know, <laughs> you, you, you have to work in yeah. that kitchen at that restaurant. There's, there's no way That's around true. it. You're not doing that from home. That's yeah. True. Um, generally, if it's a physical job, it needs to be done in person. But that said, there's lots of other interesting innovations right now in. Um, in the medical space in particular, there's telesurgery. So there are surgeons that, that have high availability internet connections that allow them to operate um, laparoscopic equipment and, and perform surgery remotely where they will have a, a essentially like a kind of a robot thing that they strap their arms into and they can manipulate the arms of, of robots that are actually um, operating on people somewhere else in the world. 
so that that's not to say that any physical job can't be done remotely, but it's it's hard. It requires either a lot of specialized equipment or or whatever. Um, a lot. I think when when people say like, "Well, this is the future of that," they 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 confuse that with this is what's going. This is how it's going to be, and that is going away forever. You know, like there will always be offices. There will always be places for people to work together collaboratively. I think that what we are going to see in the remote workspace is there are going to be a lot of companies that swing the pendulum into working remotely, and then it's going to swing back a little bit. And they're going to say like, well, you know, that didn't work or we didn't like that, or for whatever reason, we're going to go back to having an office. And then it's going to be a constant kind of swinging back and forth between the two. The balance sounds like you think it's the balance. Yeah, I think eventually it'll land in a place where there are more people that work remote than than do so now. But over the coming years and decades, I think we're going to see this trend back and forth where the big famous companies that decide to go remote and then change that policy and, and set up an office again, I think we're going to see a lot of that. Um, but I, I think that work like consulting is really ideal for remote work. Because our clients are already remote anyway, you know. If, if even when we had an office in Austin, Texas, our none of our clients were in Austin. Like only a couple, really. Like what, maybe one at a time, you know. Maybe a, a couple throughout the, the course of our, our our history. But those clients, most of our clients are on the east and west coasts. So we've always worked remotely with our clients. So in that respect, we've always been a remote company. And I think that consulting is just like that. Um, and so consulting, because their clients tend to be remote, it's a lot easier for consultancies to, to shift to a remote workforce as well. So I think that for that kind of work, it is the future of that kind of work. And that, that is what the norm will be. Um, but there's still going to be you know, lots and lots and lots of companies that, that will need to have an office and that will really succeed better having an office. Cool. I love your answer. So, Todd, I feel I feel we can chat about remote work for hours, but we're getting close to the end of the show. I want to respect your time as well. I thought we can just finish it off with a few personal fun questions. Are you up for it? Sure, absolutely. Yeah. So, what's a fun or exciting thing you've done the last week? Oh boy, in the last week, <laughs> it can be see. up to two weeks as well. Up <laughs> <laughs> to two weeks. Oh man, um, I've been traveling a lot uh, for the past month or so. Um, so I, well, I guess something that was, that was a lot of fun that I did, I, I went to my first museum conference in Vancouver and Vancouver is a great place. So I, I love, I love going there. Um, uh, but meeting a lot of people from the museum industry and hearing more about the work that museums do beyond just the exhibits that you see as a patron when you go, uh, understanding how museums work uh, um, kind of like in the back rooms, like in the administrative offices and what they're doing with technology and how they think about what they do was, that was really uh, uh, intriguing. Um, Now in terms of like exciting, um, I'm going to sound awfully boring. Um, (laughs) Well, the the last excited, like the the last really interesting thing that I did, um, I, uh, uh, I, I took a running expedition to Patagonia a few months back. That sounds more than cool, I have to say. It was, it was very, very, it was really, really cool. Um, and I didn't, I was completely unplugged. Uh, I, I didn't, I couldn't check my email, actually. I didn't have, I didn't have access to any of that. Um, and that was in, that was in February. And that was really, really cool. Um, we ran something like 54 miles in a week and we did a bunch of hiking. And it was, it was awesome. So that was pretty exciting. All right. And what's the first thing you do when you start your workday? Well, it's the real first thing that I do when I start my workday is probably just reading through email and deleting all the spam. Um, (laughs) (laughs) uh, What what I wish I did every morning um, and something that I I want to eventually get in the practice of is I want to meditate and I want to spend some time thinking about what I am going to do that day. So that might be a to-do list that I put together or select things from, or just reflect on the day. Uh, but the reality of the situation is like, even though that's what I intend to do, 
uh, I probably just like roll over, pick up my phone and start reading email, which is not healthy, <laughs> but, uh, I'm, I'm trying to stop doing that. Very cool. So Todd, where can people find you online and where people maybe can find, uh, four kitchens as well, if there is a chance that they think you may be a fit for them in terms of the services you guys can provide, where would you want to maybe send people? Sure. Um, you could just Google us, four kitchens, that's all spelled out, F-O-U-R, like the number, kitchens, like the room in your house, plural, uh, fourkitchens.com. Um, you can find us on pretty much anything like that, or you can look for me, uh, Todd Ross Neenkirk. I often just go by my first and middle name, Todd Ross. So I'm Todd Ross on Twitter. I'm, uh, you can find me on LinkedIn. Uh, I don't do Facebook anymore uh, for all kinds of reasons. So don't bother with that. Uh, but LinkedIn is a, is a good spot to find me as well. Sounds very cool. Well, Todd, um, it was a blast chatting. And thank you very much for coming to the show today. Thank you so much for the opportunity. I appreciate it. It's been fun. small quest before you leave so if you enjoyed the show we would really appreciate to receive a five star review on itunes or your favorite podcast app that can really help and we also would love to hear any feedback that you have anything else you want us to ask anyone coming to the show anything you want to change improve add or something you like really any feedback we really, really appreciate it